listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, you can head on over to Facebook, and there you'll find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group, and you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 346. We are reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 12, Paragraphs 611 to 624. Chapter 12, How the Most Blessed Mary Celebrated Her Immaculate Conception and Nativity and the blessings which she received on those days from her Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. 6.11 All the offices and titles of honor which the Most Blessed Mary held in the Church, that of Queen, Mistress, Mother, Governess, and Teacher, and all the rest were given to her by the Omnipotent, not as empty and fruitless names, but were accompanied by the superabundant plenitude of grace which is proper, and which the Almighty can communicate to each. This plenitude consisted in this, that as queen she knew all that concerned her reign and its extent. As mistress, she knew the measure of her power. As mother, she knew all the children and dependents of her household, without accepting any one through all the ages of the church. Until the end, as governess, she knew all that were subject to her, and as teacher she possessed the wisdom and science through which the Holy Church by her intercession was to be instructed and guided while enjoying the presence and the influence of the Holy Ghost until the end of the world. 6.12 Hence, our great queen had a clear knowledge, not only of all the saints that preceded or followed her in the church, of their lives, their works, their deaths, and rewards in heaven, but also of all the rites, ceremonies, decisions, and festivities of the church, in course of the ages, and of all the reasons, motives, necessities, and opportunities in and for which they were established with the assistance of the Holy Ghost. For he gives us our spiritual nourishment in proper time for the glory of the Lord and the increase of the Holy Church. As I have spoken of this matter in the course of this history, and especially in the second part, I need not repeat it here. From her full knowledge and her corresponding holiness, there arose within the heavenly instructress a certain thankful eagerness to introduce into the church militant the worship, veneration, and festivities observed by the holy angels in the triumphant Jerusalem, and thus imitate, as far as was possible, what she had so often seen done in heaven for the praise and glory of the Most High. 6.13 
In this more than seraphic spirit, she commenced to practice by herself many of the ceremonies, rites, and exercises which were afterwards introduced in the church. And these she also inculcated and impressed upon the apostles, in order that they might introduce them as far as the circumstances then allowed. She not only invented the exercises of the passion of which I have spoken above, but many other customs and ceremonies, which were later on received in the churches, in the congregations and religions. For whatever she knew as pertaining to the worship of the Lord or the practice of virtue, she performed, and in her wisdom she was ignorant of nothing that ought to be known. Among these exercises and rites was the celebration of the feast of the Lord and of herself, in order to renew the memory of the benefits for which she stood indebted, as well as the benefits relating in general to the human race as those especially referring to herself, striving thus to give thanks and adoration for all. Although she had spent her whole life in this pursuit, without relaxation or forgetfulness, yet when she entered upon this new, mysterious phase of her life, she prepared to signalize these feast days by celebrating them with exercises founded on a deeper insight. As I will speak of the other festivals in the following chapters, I will describe here only how she celebrated the Immaculate Conception and Nativity, the first mysteries of her life. These commemorations or feasts she had begun to celebrate since the Incarnation of the Word, but she celebrated them more particularly after the Ascension, and especially in these last years of her life. 6.14. On the eighth day of December of each year, she celebrated her Immaculate Conception with a jubilee and gratitude beyond all human words. For this privilege was, for the great queen, of the highest importance and value. She imagined herself altogether incapable of ever acknowledging it with sufficient gratitude. She commenced her exercises on the evening before and spent the whole night in admirable devotions, shedding tears of joy, humiliating herself, prostrating herself, and singing the praises of the Lord. She deeply reflected that she was formed of the same earth and descended from Adam according to the common order of nature, that she was preserved and exempted from the weight of the same guilt and conceived with such a plentitude of graces and gifts only because she was set apart and snatched from the rest by the Almighty. She invited her own angels to help her to return to proper thanks, and in union with them she alternated new songs of praise. Then she asked the same favor of the rest of the angels and saints in heaven. But during this time the divine love so inflamed her that the Lord was obliged to strengthen her, lest all her natural forces be consumed and death ensue. 6.15 After she had spent the whole night in these exercises, Christ descended from heaven, and the angels raised her to his royal throne in heaven, where the celebration of the feast was continued with new glory to the accidental joy of the courtiers of the heavenly Jerusalem. There the Blessed Mother prostrated herself and adored the Most Holy Trinity, again giving thanks for the benefit of her immunity from sin and her immaculate conception. Then she again took her place at the right hand of Christ her Son and the Lord himself, as it were acknowledged, the goodness of the Eternal Father, and having given him a mother, so worthy and so full of grace, exempt from the common guilt of Adam. Anew, the three divine persons confirmed upon her this privilege, as it were ratifying and approving it and pleasing themselves, and thus having distinguished her among all the creatures. In order to give repeated testimony to this truth, a voice proceeded from the throne in the name of the Father, saying, Beautiful are thy footsteps, O prince's daughter, conceived without sin. 
Another in the name of the Son said, Altogether pure and without contact of guilt is my mother who gave me human form to redeem men. And in the name of the Holy Spirit, all fair art thou, my spouse, all fair art thou, and without stain of the universal guilt. 6.16 In between these voices were heard of the choirs of all the angels and saints singing in sweetest harmony. Most Holy Mary conceived without original sin. To all these honors, the most prudent mother answered by thanksgiving, worship, and praise in the Most High, rendered with such profound humility that it passed all angelic understanding. In order to conclude the solemnity, she was raised to the intuitive and beatific vision of the Most Holy Trinity, and after enjoying this glory for some hours, she was brought back by the angels to the cenacle. This was the manner in which her Immaculate Conception was solemnized after the ascension of her Divine Son. Now this feast is celebrated in a different manner, as I will describe in another book, which I have orders to write concerning the Holy Jerusalem, the Church Triumphant. If the Lord shall concede this grace to me, this feast and others, she began to celebrate from the time of the Incarnation. For finding herself to be the Mother of God, she wished to commemorate the blessings she had received in virtue of this dignity. And therefore, in this latter part of her life, she requited them in company with her holy angels by rendering her worshipful thanksgiving to the Son of God who had thus favored her. The other exercises she performed in her oratory on returning from heaven, and they were of the same kind as I have often referred to on occasion of special favors from God, for all of them ever increased her admirable humility. 6.17 The feast of her nativity she celebrated on the 8th of September on which she was born. She began on the evening before with the same prostrations and canticles as at the feast of her conception. She gave thanks for having been born to life into the light of this world and for the favor of having been raised to heaven in the hour of her birth, to look upon the divinity intuitively, as I have narrated in the first part of this history. She resolved anew to spend her whole life in fulfilling the pleasure of the Lord, acknowledging that for this purpose alone it was given to her. Though in the first beginning and entrance of her life, she had advanced in merit as far as the highest saints and seraphim. She resolved now in its latter part to begin to labor anew as if she were just beginning this practice of virtue. She asked the Lord to lend her his assistance, govern her in all her actions, and lead her to the highest end proposed for his glory. 6.18 As for the rest concerning this feast, although she was not raised to heaven as on the day of her conception, Yet her divine Son came down from there with many choirs of the angels, with the patriarchs and prophets, and with St. Joachim, St. Anne, and St. Joseph. With this company, Christ our Savior descended in order to celebrate the birthday of his blessed mother upon earth. And this purest of creatures in the presence of that celestial company adored the Lord with wonderful reverence and worship, and again expressed her thankful acknowledgment for having been placed upon the earth and for the benefits connected therewith. Then the angels imitated her and sang, Nativitas tua Dei Genetrix Virgo, signifying, Thy birth, O Mother of God, announced to all the universe a great joy, for of thee was born the Son of Justice, Christ our God. The patriarchs and prophets sang their hymns of glory and thanksgiving. Adam and Eve also, because in her was born the restorer of their ruin, her parents and her spouse, because they had been blessed with such a daughter and spouse. Then the Lord himself raised the heavenly mother from the ground on which she lay prostrate and placed her at his right hand, and straightway new mysteries of the divinity were manifested to her. This vision, although not intuitive but abstractive, afforded her a still deeper insight 
and participation in the divinity. 619. By these ineffable favors, she was transformed, inflamed, and spiritualized to the likeness of her divine Son in a new and special manner, as if for a new beginning. On these occasions, the evangelist St. John merited some measure of participation in the feast, for he heard some of the music of the angels, and he was privileged to say Mass, while the Lord and the angels were present in the oratory, and to communicate the great queen, while Jesus, her son, whom she was receiving sacramentally, was himself at her side. These spectacles were the sources of new joy to the saints, who served at the same time as witnesses to this communion. More worthy than ever was seen since Christ lived, or shall ever be seen upon earth. At the moment of communion, her divine son remained with the great lady in the sacramental form, while he himself in his glorious and natural form ascended to heaven. O hidden marvels of divine omnipotence, if the Lord shows himself wonderful in all his saints, Psalm sixty-seven thirty-six, how wonderful will he not have been with his exalted mother, whom he loved above all, and for whom he had reserved the great and special manifestations of his wisdom and power. Let all the creatures confess him and give him glory, virtue, and magnificence. Instruction which the Queen of the Angels, Most Blessed Mary, gave me. 620. My daughter, first of all, I wish to enlighten thee concerning certain doubts of thy heart regarding the exalted and extraordinary mysteries of this history. Two misgivings have disturbed thy interior. First, whether thou who knowest thyself to be such an insignificant, useless, and ignorant woman art a fit instrument for recording these mysteries, whether it would not be better to let some other person, more learned and perfect in virtue, write them and thus give them more authority since thou art the least of all, the most useless and ignorant. Secondly, whether these mysteries, which are so extraordinary and never heard of, especially the frequent beatific and intuitive visions of the divinity during my life, shall ever find credit among those who read of them. To thy first doubt I answer that in truth thou art the least and most useless of all, since thou hast heard it from the mouth of the Lord, and I confirm it. But remember that belief in this history and in all that it contains does not depend on the instrument but on its author, who is the highest truth, and upon the contents of thy writing. And in this regard, not even the highest seraph could add thereto, nor canst thou diminish or omit anything. 6.21. That an angel should write this history is not befitting, and if he should, the unbelievers and the sluggish of heart will nevertheless find occasion to slander him. It is necessary that the instrument be a human person, but it is not proper for that person to be the most learned or wise. For then this work might be ascribed to his knowledge, and thus occasion the danger of having the divine light esteemed no higher or even lower than human knowledge, or it might be attributed entirely to human forethought and industry. It is more to the glory of God that this person should be a woman, who can rely neither on her own knowledge nor her own industry. I likewise take special pleasure and honor from the fact that thou art this instrument, because thou and all others will know that there is nothing of thy own in this history, and that thou must not attribute more to thyself than to the pen with which thou writest, since thou art but the instrument in the hands of the Lord and the repeater of my words. And as thou art such, so insignificant and sinful, thou wilt not be disturbed in seeing mortals refuse to believe, since in disbelieving what thou writest, they will not do any wrong to thee, but by their unbelief fail in proper reverence for my words." Although thy faults and shortcomings are many, 
They can all be neutralized by the charity and kindness of the Lord, who has not looked for any other instrument of this work, but has raised thee from the dust and manifested in thee his liberal power. He has communicated his doctrine by one in whom the power of his truth would appear more plainly, and hence I desire that thou follow it up in thy conduct and reach the perfection thou desirest. 6.22 In answer to the second misgiving and anxiety, whether the greatness of these mysteries will not prevent belief in what thou writest, I have said many things in the course of this history. Those that take care to attain a worthy concept and appreciation of me will find no difficulty in believing me, for they will understand the relation and proportion of my privileges to the dignity of the mother of God. They will understand that God's works are perfect, and if anyone begins to doubt in these matters, it is certain that he does not know what God is or what I am. If God has shown himself so powerful and liberal in other saints that many in the church are held to have seen the divinity in mortal life, and certainly have seen it, how or on what grounds can that be denied to me? What is conceded to so many others inferior to me? All that my divine Son merited and did for them was ordained for his glory, and secondarily in my honor, the end must be held in higher esteem and valuation than the means. Hence greater was the divine love which inclined God to favor me than all the rest, whom he has benefited for my sake. There is no reason for surprise in stating that what he has done sometimes for them, he has done many times for her, whom he has chosen as his mother. 6.23. Let the pious and the prudent keep in mind what has been taught in the church, that the measure of the favors I receive from the hands of my divine Son is his omnipotence in my capacity. For he has conceded to me all the favors which he could confer and which I was capable of receiving. These graces were in me not barren, but always fruitful to the fullest extent in which it was possible in a creature. The divine Master himself was my Son, powerful to operate as far as the creature placed no obstacle, since I place no such obstacle, how can anyone dare to limit his works of love toward me, his mother, whom he himself had made worthy of his benefits and favors above all the rest of his saints, not one of whom deprived himself, like I have, of this fruition even an hour for the sake of helping his church? And if what he did for me seem much, I desire thee and all the rest to understand that all his favors were grounded upon and included in the one privilege of my having been conceived without sin." For it was a greater favor to make me worthy of his glory when I could not merit it than to show me his glory when I had merited it and had placed no hindrance. 6.24 By these considerations thy doubts will be solved, and as for the rest, let that be my concern, and let it be thine to follow and imitate me, for as far as thou art concerned, this is the purest of all thou understandest and writest. This should be thy solicitude. That thou omit the practice of no virtue made known to thee. I wish that thou attend to what the other saints have done in following my divine Son and me. For thou dost not owe less than they to his mercy, and with none have I been more kind and liberal. In my school I wish thee to learn the love and gratitude and humility of a true disciple of mine. For I desire thee to distinguish thyself and advance thyself exceedingly. All my festivals... Thou should celebrate with a sincere devotion and invite the saints and angels to assist thee therein, especially the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which I was so highly favored by the divine power, and from which I derive so much joy. In these times, more than formerly, I am solicitous of seeing it acknowledged by men and of their praising the Most High for this extraordinary miracle. 
On the day of thy own birth into the world, thou shouldst render special thanks to the Lord in imitation of me, and perform some extra work at his service. Above all, thou shouldst resolve thenceforth to amend thy life, and to commence to labor in this anew. And all the mortals, instead of spending the anniversary of their birth in demonstration of vain earthly joy, should make similar resolutions. This concludes our reading today for day number 346. We have been reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 12, Paragraphs 611 to 624. In the course of our readings, we have reflected on how Mary has observed and commemorated certain things related to the life of Jesus by visiting those places in the Holy Land and so forth. But today, our reading draws us into the reality that Mary celebrated her life as well. And not only did Mary celebrate special moments of her life, as we heard today, the Immaculate Conception, which we recently celebrated, but also that of her nativity, of her birth on September 8th. That celebration of these two feasts was not celebrated just by Mary, but by all of heaven, by her son Jesus, by her parents, by her husband Joseph, by the angels and the saints, that they celebrate what God has done in the person of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Her focus on celebrating them especially picked up after the ascension of the Lord and in the last years of her life, as we heard. It's a peculiar thing to think about. I'm sure she celebrated all throughout her life. You know, one of the things you could think about, well, how did Jesus celebrate Mary's birthday as a little child? Did he bring her a present? Did he make something for her in St. Joseph's wood shop? Did he collect flowers? I don't know. It's just something I've often uh, thought about. But how beautiful to just think about these things, these holy thoughts. To celebrate one's conception, that's something we do in the church twice a year for Mary and for Jesus, the Annunciation, the Immaculate Conception. For us on earth, sometimes it might be hard to celebrate our conception, uh, to know the exact day that we were conceived on, but maybe that's possible. For me, I was born premature, so that would even be a bit more uh, difficult for me, I would say. I think it's interesting that Christ descended to celebrate Mary's birthday as well. So here he comes again, appearing on earth after his ascension for the purpose of his mother. These spectacles were the source of new joy to the saints who served at the same time as witnesses to this communion. The great joy of heaven. That's another thing that we can meditate upon. Just to think that on any feast day of Our Lady, heaven is rejoicing because of the honor that is given to Our Lady, who we heard that by the birth of the Mother of God, it was announced to all the universe a great joy because of her was to be born the Son of Justice. And finally, in our uh, instruction that Mary gives today, She says, In my school I wish thee to learn the love, the gratitude, and humility of a true disciple of mine, for I desire thee to distinguish thyself and advance thyself exceedingly. And just think that through the reading of the mystical city of God, truly we have sat at the feet of our Heavenly Mother. We have been listening to her instructions throughout this entire year. We've been learning about her life. And now she wants that to change us, just as it is changing Maria of Agreda, 
Distinguish yourself and advance accordingly to the graces now that God has given you. We're also encouraged to invite the saints and angels to celebrate these feast days with us, and then the encouragement to celebrate our own birthdays in a very moral way, not of an earthly way, but of a spiritual way, giving thanks to God always for the gift of our life. And all the mortals, instead of spending the anniversary of their birth in demonstration of vain earthly joy, should make similar resolutions. How do you celebrate your birthday? Now, I was listening to a podcast uh, just recently, and they were talking about the celebration of their birthday, the individual was, and how this year it was a very quiet birthday, supposed to be somewhere else, but something demanded her to be not there. And, And so the celebration of that birthday was a bit more quiet. And this individual was just commenting on what joy that brought her, simply to be able to have a little rest on her birthday, to celebrate it quietly just with her family. How do you celebrate your birthday? How can you do so in a godly way? I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.